Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to MAP Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bibles director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome to Mav Sports Take. It is episode 61, your podcast for unmuzzled sports talk, focusing on the business of sports. Of course, we are live here on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, live streaming an inside look into the sports world through the lens of a media member here, RiseandDraft.com, of course, Ryan Roberts, and my good friend, a legend, DFS legend as well, but an 18-year scouting vet in the NFL, CFL, and three straight elite arena league championships with the Arizona Rattlers, Mr. David Turner. David, how are you today, my friend? I am doing fantastic, and I don't know if I'm reaching legendary status on DFS, but this guy is getting good. I'm telling you, I made money this weekend on DFS for the first time I broke a profit, so I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, my wagers didn't go well because I went big. I didn't go I didn't go small. I won a seven-team and a four-team parlay, and I don't even want to talk about them, them boys from Texas just not being able to tackle. I mean, that was a three-and-a-half-point game. If they just tackle that kid and they kick the field goal, let's go. This boy's going home with a lot of dough. But no, they can't tackle. That just drove me nuts. Uh-huh. And then I don't want to talk about the Patriots, you know, proverbial crap down the leg, you know, against the Houston Texans. They made Davis Mills look like he was freaking Brett Favre at times. He looked good, man. He looked good. Oh, we, we, You and I both agree we liked him. You know, we just weren't sure how they were going to work in that system. But now that they're tailoring, tailoring the system to him, you know, we think he's going to be a decent player. I mean, he has tools and skills, but again, coming out in his third start looking that good, that was kind of ridiculous by the Patriots' defense. I think they kind of lollygagged and then they got their ass handed to him a little bit. Of course, they won the game, but, you know, the spread was like freaking, you know, seven and a half or whatever, and they, they only won by three, so. Yeah, no, it was a mess. I'm glad to hear, though, man, that you are getting better – at DFS, though, I know they say that you can't teach old dog to do tricks, but here you are. So here I am, whole new, proven. whole new world. <laughs> All right, I'm clipping that. I'm going to tell someone to clip that, <laughs> that on Twitter. But we again, like I said, we are live here. We're an interactive podcast. We have some mailbag questions that we're covering also. But if you want to throw in a question at any point, we're going to be talking little John Gruden, the saga that has now come to an end, part of the Las Vegas Raiders organization, of course. We'll get heavy into that. Also going to talk about the Urban Meyer, uh, I guess saga is the best way to put that one as well. It's been a journey that I think a lot of could have predicted. Maybe not quite to the uh, – the. I don't, I don't think anybody would have predicted the, the, the path that we got to this point, but I don't think many people had optimistic views – of the Urban Meyer situation, and then we'll hit some mailbags. Before we do, would you be a parent of a high school athlete trying to make it to the next level? If you answered yes, then why not secure coaching 
for them from an expert. Here at Maverick Sports Consulting, we work with your high school athletes of all sports to create a strategy for the recruiting process. With limited scholarships given each year, having a good pointed recruiting plan helps our clients secure their opportunity to play collegiate sports. We focus on your transcripts, your film, leadership, and more to set your goals and create pathways to get to them. Whether you're looking to attend an SEC school or Slippery Rock, we can support your efforts to get to those goals in 2022. Contact us at mavericksportsconsulting.com today. So, David, I think we should start with Gruden. Obviously, it is the most recent news. It transpired, of course, we're recording on a Tuesday at 8.30 Eastern time. So it, this news broke on Monday nights, during Monday night football, of course, as if we, you know, we're just trying to enjoy our night of football, that we get this fantastic news. Of course, John Gruden, a couple years ago, signed what at the time was a historic deal. It was a 10-year contract, some crazy number like that. And so far in the beginning of the year, it looked like, hey, man, like they might be turning around a little bit. The Las Vegas Raiders started, I think, 3-0. They've lost the last two, but like they started out pretty well. They've been you know, the butt of jokes a little bit. They've been ridiculed for some draft misses over the last couple of years, but they were playing pretty solid football. And then, of course, a few days ago, you hear the, uh, the rumors, or I, you know, we'll call it rumors. Obviously, it's been proven to, of what has transpired. But you hear about an email that was sent by John Gruden with inappropriate language referring to DeMora Smith, uh, who, of course, is the president of the NFLPA. And the this did transpire, though, just to put it into context, about 10 years ago. So it was far into the past. I think 2011 was when this, this um, incident was uncovered. So we're talking about an email that is 10 years old. But regardless, he made a very inappropriate comment about his facial feature on his face. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. I don't want to get heavy into exactly what was said into this conversation. But that gets uncovered. And then, David, you hear... Um, early evening, at least on Eastern time, right? That this um, there is a little more smoke to this fire than just one email. We're talking about uh, a lot of misogynistic language. We're talking about racist language. We're talking about a lot of different things that has been uncovered through Gruden in emails in the past, um, shared directly with leadership at the time for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, a lot of a lot of negativity, man, that's happening right now. And, of course, just a couple hours after that big news bomb dropped of, like, some of the leaked not language that he used and some of the things that he was saying in the emails, he decides to resign as head coach. I thought it was going to happen after I saw the, new, the news and the, the recent uh, – the recent uh, – the recent – evidence that was brought against him. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word evidence for some reason. I'm running on about three hours of sleep. So David Turner, stop looking at me like that. But so you think that it's going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen that night. I didn't think it was going to happen within a couple hours. Let's just start with general thoughts, David, uh, to this, obviously this very unfortunate incident that has not only, you know, people are going to say, oh, John Gruden, the, the Las Vegas Raiders, this affects a lot of people over a long period of time. Well, what I and now maybe I have this wrong because it's all unfolding so fast. What I understand is that these emails came out as part of the Washington Redskin probe. You're right. That, it was it was Bruce Allen, right? I think I misread that. Yes. I believe I believe that was the case. I in that he was emailing Bruce Allen. 
You know, they work together at Tampa Bay. They're Correct. dear friends. They've known each other since the Raiders. First stint that they were both with the Raiders. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the hip we'll get into the hypocrisy of how Daniel Snyder, the owner, is, is you know, not getting in trouble. But then Gruden is getting absolutely blasted right now. Right. Um, but besides that, we'll stay on focus and on point. Well, I just want to say, I, I want to apologize for my misinformation that I put out there because I do remember now Bruce Allen was involved. I think Sean McVay was actually on this email chain. Of course, he was an assistant coach with the Washington uh, Washington Redskins at the time, now the Washington football team. And there was a few other assistant coaches, a few members of leadership. So thank you for correcting me on that in that instance. Right. And Sean, I think, was with them in Tampa, right? That's where he knew the group from. Well, I, th um, I think he was in Washington with Jay. So I think that's kind of where oh, okay. the meshing happens. Yeah. There you go. So, again, if you if you follow this chain, Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's potential, and I don't know, I, I, they say there's 650,000 emails they've collected. That's crazy. So, you know, let's just say there's potential that McVeigh, the OC in Seattle, uh, you know, I think Ragone, the OC that's in uh, the Falcons, Jay Gruden, they're all – they're all on, they could all be on this chain. And if any of them chimed in or said anything else, now that Gruden's not only resigned his position, but has been mm -hmm. taken out of the ring of honor at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that was the new news tonight on this. Um, you know, you, you're looking at a situation that is really going to get more ugly than anything um, quickly. So, mm -hmm. You know, when I look at it, and here's, you know, I'm going to take two two ways on it, and the audience comment all you want. Like, mm -hmm. here's the thing. It's 10 years ago. Right. Doesn't excuse the language. Doesn't excuse what's said. But if the man has grown in those 10 years in any way, I think Gruden could have saved his job and position. But I think because, and this is just me saying this, he hasn't grown, and people aren't going to come to bat for him and, and battle it, that's why he resigned and bowed out. And I, I'll be I, honest, I, I don't think, when I read his comments yesterday, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't read comments that were like 100% apologetic. For sure. You know, it was more, I don't... Uh, I don't feel that way. This isn't the way I feel. You can't, you know, I, I'm a good person. I've done a lot for people. It's not like, hey, I've grown. Those were poorly tasted emails. I shouldn't have sent them in an, an environment. You know, obviously workplace is not a place for any of my personal feelings to come out and be shared in group emails. Like there's ways to say it. But when he said what he said yesterday, like this is a guy who doesn't feel like he did wrong. And then I just go right back to white privilege. And I, you know, I'm a white man, you're, you know, it is. But to go out and be able to say these kind of things about D. Smith, he said negative things, uh, homophobic type things about yes. the commissioner and about um, gay. Uh, what was um, Michael Sam? Michael Sam. Yep. And. You know, and then he said stuff about women being on the field as officials and stuff. 
I and probably so they were sending they were sending pictures of like topless cheerleaders or something like that too. It was a lot of stuff in there. So there's a lot. Well, I, I was just talking about the business, you know. But again, right. yeah, there. But I'm saying like you, you talked about. He made racial comments. He made anti-homophobic comments. He made misogynistic comments and you know stuff. So and again, it's ten years ago. If he really felt he changed in those ten years. There was ways to word it, and if people around the league were like, John's really changed. I, this is shocking that these emails from 10 years ago are are this graphic because, you know, where he's at today, it doesn't seem like John. You know what I mean? But that didn't happen. Nobody came to the defense, and in, in in no one rode in on, on a horse to champion him to keep his job or anything, you know? Now, I have other – reasons to believe why that happened but right now um the facts are he made these you know gross incredibly offensive insensitive insen i mean we can keep going right insensitive downright degrading emails yep. and he was working as a commentator at espn and he sent it to a professional organization i don't care if it's your brother or not he sent it to the organization. It's like you didn't keep it to yourselves. You didn't do personal email to personal email where it was. It was business emails. That's why they had, you know, uh, jurisdiction to get them because they were business emails. Right. So if you wanted to send something to your brother's personal email and he could have pulled it up on his phone, that's one thing. But like you said, there were several coaches Mm -hmm. at the Washington, you know, football team back then, Washington Redskins, that were on this chain. There were, you know, executives on this chain, and yep. he felt comfortable enough to do that. Yes, and we, and, we all, and we all know why he feels comfortable enough. You already talked about it. It's the privilege of being a white male in the society. Like, let's call it what it is, especially in the game of football, too. And, and I think it was – and a couple of points that I wanted to make was I think it was Jim Trotter I heard had a little excerpt on this today. And he said their apologies aren't going to do anything. These, you know, donating money to, um, you know, Black Lives Matter movements or, you know, just social justice issues, whatever it is, that's not going to fix anything until there are – People up top making decisions that are diverse, that have the ability to have an actual say in the situation, that's when things are going to change. I know we talked about this issue a ton, but I will say this, David. The, all the eyes are on John Groom right now, and rightfully so, for doing this heinous thing that he did. You are kidding yourself if you are to believe that he is the only person in this sports, in the position that he is at or higher, that says things like this that go unnoticed. So there is definitely a problem up top. And I think that these are the moments where, hey, is change actually going to happen? And I hate, and I don't want to say hate. I, I, I don't think that we meant to go this route because we're trying to talk about an isolated incident. But this is a moment where we can elicit change. There's could could something good come could come out of this, as weird as that is to say. And I think Jim Trotter, again, had a little excerpt, I believe, on NFL Network where he talked about it. I think Steve Weish was on the clip I saw as well, of course, friend of the show, Steve Weish. And I will applaud his sentiment there, and I will agree, and I want everyone to understand that real quick. We're all going to look down on John Gruden. We're all going to be pissed off about John Gruden. We're all going to cancel John Gruden, and rightfully so for what he did. 
but do not make the mistake and think that this is just an isolated incident. This is not the only this is not the only time at that level or higher in the sport of football that this is happening. No, it's not. And again, it's, it's someone's hand got caught in the cookie jar, but with six hundred and fifty flipping emails. Very stupid. There's more to come. Like, don't get me twisted on this. John's probably the first domino. For sure. Okay. And and now I think there I'm pretty much positive there's gonna be more to come from this. I mean, because you know, all the rumors around there of of uh, you know, baiting the not baiting, but uh, you know, hooking the or trying to pimp out the cheerleaders, let's put it out what it was. Yeah. Um and sending them on photo shoots and then having, you know, big executives from the you know club being there, whatever the cases were, it was completely inappropriate behavior. So if they, if you think this is the only inappropriate behavior that they discovered, yeah, uh, you know, I got some land in Florida for you to buy too. Um, there's a lot more in there. And again, you know, for me, I don't, I think personally, and this is not inside information or, private conversations so don't take this the wrong way because i did work for the raiders but i do personally feel there were folks that are our folks at the raiders that aren't really happy with gruden his work ethic and his uh, ability to really deliver um you know wins for the organization in his third year i mean he won week one in overtime against baltimore on a on a on a really freak play and then they go up to the Steelers, solid win up there, twenty six to seventeen. Was, was, the, was the was the Ravens the one that was um, in overtime where there was a completion to Zay Jones? It was like yes. a, it was like a zero, like it was like cover zero. Everyone, yeah, they they, they the thought they were, game. yeah, the corner totally thought they were just going to run the ball out and kick a field goal, and you know, boom, he hits him for a long pass. You know, it was yeah. just like I said, it was a free call. And then they have to go to overtime. Oh, they're up eight and a half points. This one cost me money, so it's painful. They were up eight and a half points, and and they had a minute thirty to go, and they had to go to overtime to win that game, thirty-one to twenty-eight, when they were favored by five. Yeah. Then they then they lose, you know, twenty-eight fourteen to the Chargers. And then they lose to the Bears, which I don't know how anybody loses to the Bears this year. I mean, they can't even figure out their identity. But, yeah, they're going to lose not only a little bit, 20 to 9. 20 to 9. Just and they lose. They Oh, stop it. Um, <laughs> and, and to the Bears. And, and now here's, here's the deal. Then all, all these rumors come out, and people in the building are already questioning his work ethic. Yeah. And and how much he really cares right now, and boom, now they can get rid of him. And that ten year contract that you talked about is, you know, it's honestly there's a code of conduct and a personal code of conduct in everybody's you know contract. I don't know if they can use that when from emails ten years ago. Right. You know, honestly, I don't know if that's possible. Because- because it's not during the tenure of the team, right? So, like, you can't use that. But because him. John chose to resign over it instead right. of be fired over it, I don't know how that plays in legally. Maybe we can get a lawyer on at, an, at another junction and talk about workplace law and that because I truthfully just don't know. So I don't want the audience to think that I'm trying to cover up for him. I just don't know. Sure. Um, the end of the day, though, here's the situation we're in is that 
you know, we got we got John Gruden week five of the NFL season um, with a team that's three and two on the street. Looking for work or, you know, out there. I mean, of course, he's not out there holding a, a coffee can, but, you know, he's he's literally looking for work. He's out on the street. So, you know, folks, it's, it, I think there's more to come this season. And people, I was on Patricia Trainer's show as I am every day after uh, the Giants play. And, uh, you know, her and I were talking about the Giants situation too. So, you know, it's, it's a situation where with a 17 week season, it's going to grind not only on the players, but on the coaches and on the staffs and everybody. So, People have to really pay attention that th- there's going to be more blood in the water than just John Gruden. I think out of these emails, too, there's going to be more blood in the water. And I would like to move it into – I don't know how Dan Snyder huh. – I really don't know how the ownership groups in the NFL can continue to protect their own and right. punish and punish others. Mm-hmm. You know, like – Dan Snyder, you cannot tell me Dan Snyder doesn't know the culture in that in that building that he goes to work in every day and that he's around every day for 20 years now. Yeah. You can't tell me he doesn't know the culture and what's going on there, that he wasn't pervy to some of these emails or, you know, it might not have went to him, but there was probably a, a elbow in the ribs. Hey, Dan, look at this one. Hey, Dan, look what Gruden said this time. Hey, you're never going to believe the email I got from John yesterday. Oh, my God. It was hilarious. You know, it was about D. Smith. Oh, it had this cheerleader in it. You know, he, you can't tell me he, he didn't know. He was just blind and a per, a, oblivious to what's going on. But yet he's surviving at this point. Like, he gets to keep right. the team. I mean, he doesn't even get, you know. We saw the ownership from the Panthers get ousted over sexual harassment, right? And now Dan Snyder is getting to keep the team. Like 650,000 emails, and you can't tell me there's one in there that Dan Snyder didn't say something or do something? Well, I, I, I'm interested to see what the next acts to fa- fall or you know whatever the correct term is there of what is the next person – or thing that gets uncovered in this mess of an email chain, because I would like to assume, and I could be wrong, I guess. I mean, it's very low percentage, I would say here, but I don't think John Groom is the only one that said something inappropriate in these emails. I think that's pretty safe to say. So I want to see the next step. I could not agree more on, on Dan Snyder. I mean, it's been highly talked about and publicized for basically his entire tenure. Um, the insensitivity that he has and how he treats a lot of people around him. So a lot of access to fall. I'm interested, David. I think the last point I want to ask you about this issue is now it's putting obviously the Las Vegas Raiders, like you said, week five of a 17 week season in a very negative situation. here. Okay. And a three and two team, they're in, they're in, they're in, the, they're in the thick of it, right? Like I, I, I think we talked about them a couple weeks ago where we said like, you know, are they a true contender? Are they a little bit of a pretender? And I think that both of us kind of said like, we're, you know, somewhere in the middle, like we'll see how it goes. I think that this is going to go not the best of the world, right? Like I, I think that there's flaws in this roster and obviously losing your head coach in week five and having all this negativity or surrounding your organization is not ideal for success, right? But long-term, what is the outlook for the Las Vegas Raiders? I have to think that 
they're going to start making a list of candidates for, you know, pretty quick here and try to figure out like what the target is going to be. Obviously when we get to that period, obviously we're not in that period. We want to, we need to play football, but you have to think that the Las Vegas Raiders are in a tough situation, not only because of Gruden, but also Gruden brought in Mike Mayock, his guy as a general manager. Like, is he going to outlast this with the next coaching regime? Like what is the status in your opinion of this franchise moving forward with all this uncertainty right now? Well, one point you, you didn't bring up, and I'm not sure if you remember or not, yep. but because I follow the Raiders so closely, obviously, the about 10 days or 12 days before training camp, on the same day, they fired the president, CEO, and CFO. Right. So since training camp, they've been operating with their you know chief legal advisor, Dan Ventrelli, as their president. And I, you know, and from what I understand, it's an interim title that he could earn the permanent title, but right now it's just interim. Um, so they are in a situation where, at the end of the season, they could be looking for a president, a GM, and a head coach, all on this in the same year. And what's the remember the Titans uh, quote about leadership? Um, uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Um, uh. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. Who says it? Julius Campbell? Julius Campbell say it? Or is it Bertier? Yep. All right, Julius Campbell. Nope. Um, leader, Julius uh, says it to Bertier. Uh, he says um, uh, something about reflection. I'm trying to remember. Uh, tell me, David Turner. I know it, though. Darn it. Attitude reflects leadership. Leadership. Captain. I got it. All right. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, again, if your leadership is not reflecting or predicting or projecting the right attitude then that's what you're going to get back mm -hmm. so if you have to fire the president ceo cfo and now your coach resigns what's really going on in that building and you know i've heard rumors that mayock is not all in and he's been trying to uh find it out be honest with you i think he wants to get back to commentating well, I feel like he's been the fall guy for a couple of years because everything I hear is that Gruden's the guy that makes the picks. He's the one that is more control of roster construction, all that type of stuff. But I think Mayock wants to get back to get back to commentating and be back where he's like the man on 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 the screen. So you can talk about bubble butts and uh, sand in the pants, all that good stuff. And yeah, moving in a phone booth, all that stuff. Um, so you know, all all that stuff that means absolutely nothing to anybody. But, but him. Um, so my whole thing is, I think the Raiders are on a major reset when it comes to what's coming down the hill. You have, uh, you know, I, I hope Mark Davis is surrounding himself with the right people to to in these in these times, and he's not putting people around him that are just going to guide him down, you know, bad alleys because he's really in a situation. I mean, they bought the basketball team up there. And now they have the Raiders. So, I mean, he's really solidifying his his uh, foothold in Vegas, which is a great city. It's an incredible place to live and be. Um, and I just hope that, again, he's surrounding himself with the right people to make the decisions that he needs to going forward. You know, for me, I think, you know, I, I could give you a list of candidates that I think would be vying for that job. Joe and Wink Martindale, <laughs> Wink Martindale would be number one. You know the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator. Uh, he he was a Raider before. I could see him wanting it. 
You know, I imagine Tom Cable. I was actually kind of surprised when they gave an interim head coach label. They didn't give it to Tom Cable because he had been the head coach there before. Um, and him and Mark have a relationship. So that kind of surprised me a little bit. But, I mean, you know, there's there's plenty. And David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford, was a Raider at one point. You know, so, again, if they're going back into the Raider tree, which is a classic Raider move, um, you know, there's people that are there. But there's, I think there's a lot of people that want that job, honestly, because of Derek Carr. I mean, you, you can say what you want about Derek Carr. He might not be the top two or three quarterbacks in the league, but, you know, he's, he's, he's inside the top ten. And that's – he's in – I mean, statistically, two weeks ago, he was leading the league in passing and, and touchdowns and all sorts of categories. Um, so, again, I, I think it's going to be a hot job coming forward. Um, and they haven't paid Carr yet. So I think a coach is going to want to know the answer to that is if you're going to pay Carr or not pay Carr because I don't want the job if he's not here or they're going to find coaches as a well, we can draft a guy if they fall enough in the draft process this year um, and get a rookie contract in here and you guys can let Carr go. Um, ooh, S Carr go. Um, but Oh, my God. You never know. Oh, my God. Dad you never know. Okay. Got some S Carr go. He could, he could let S Carr go. I'm going to um, just keep drinking my cup of Joe. <laughs> so, again, I think they're in a major reset, which is terrible because they were just in a reset three years ago when they brought Gruden and Mayock in before mm -hmm. they moved down to Vegas, right? And then they hit the pandemic, and now they're, they're, they're going to be in another major reset. So, yeah. Tough situations. We want to get into another situation here in a second. Of course, Mr. Urban Meyer, which a lot of conversation. Um, We'll get into that in a second. Before we do, have you secured any sponsorships with your name, image, and likeness yet? No. What's keeping you from earning money or gaining products today? Probably access to companies. Maverick Sports Consulting can connect those dots for you. We believe in the power of athletes making a living off of their own likeness while going to college. If it's simple that you don't have the, if it's simply that you don't have the access to companies, don't let that keep you from being successful. Contact us at Maverick Sports Consulting so we can help you navigate your path to gaining corporate sponsorships for your collegiate career. An athlete's earning potential is unlimited. Why wait until tomorrow to start earning today? It doesn't matter what sport you play. We help all our clients achieve their goals. Just contact us at Maverick Sports Consulting today. TikTok, the clock is ticking. All right, David. So we're talking about Mr. Urban Meyer now here. All right, so let's paint the picture. This this was fun. This was fun. Um, so last week I was at the Notre Dame-Cincinnati game. And after the game, um, a video got pumped out there. Well, maybe uh, – let's not start there. Let's not start there. Actually, there's been a lot of rumblings over the last first few weeks. Jaguars have looked futile. Urban Myers had some, uh, some quotes that have not looked great in the media's eyes. Um, and he has also already put out a couple things that's like out to the – to the, to the general public, to the fan base. Hey, be patient with us. We'll get there, which is code for we suck. I understand. Don't get too mad at me because I need my job. All right, so that happens. <laughs> and then last week, um, so they're playing a football game. Instead of going home with the team after the game, he, uh, he goes, to, uh, goes to his old stopping grounds in Ohio um, and hangs out, you know, supposedly from his – from his uh, from his account, 
he was with his family first, going out to dinner. And then across the street, there were some people that were like, hey, Urban, come on over. So he goes over. And, uh, you know, he's in a situation where there's a young woman that is uh, giving him a little bit of a lap dance, you know, grinding on him a little bit. And uh, his hand looks pretty inappropriately placed on this young lady. And the morality part of everything is, you know, he's a married man. He was in a very precarious situation. But the bigger picture here is, um, so you don't go home with your team. So you can do this stuff as a married man, uh, inappropriate, obvious contact with a, with a young lady. And it's a big distraction because on Monday they did not have their team activity because he canceled it because he had to deal with obviously the backlash from the incident. And all the reports are out there and there's several quotes and go look it up because I don't have it word for word in front of me. Um, Basically the the players are calling him a joke a little bit. They're laughing about it. Um, When he addressed the team, apparently he left the, he left the room and then everyone just started kind of busting out in laughter and like, like, is this guy serious type of thing? So it's bad right now in Jacksonville. Um, I had the over-under on one season. Whether uh, Urban would last into next year, could it be this season? Could it be? If I mean, if something else happens, man, it's got to be the end of the rope already. And not, I mean, just um, it's, it's such a shame because there is some young talent on Jacksonville to get excited about. There absolutely is. The Robinson kid, the running back, is a good football player. They obviously have the first overall pick from last year, Trevor Lawrence. There's players there, LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark. There's some dudes on that offense specifically. Jones, and Jones, the other receiver. Marvin Jones, yeah, Marvin Jones is a solid football player. But I was, I was talking more like the younger guys. So there's like a, a decent. I was saying they got talent. They got yeah. and they got they got uh, was it Josh Allen rushing the passer? Yeah, no, no, there is absolutely talent, which is what I, try, what I was trying to illustrate. And instead of talking about this young team that is trying to you know get it turned around, we're talking about Urban Meyer and. I don't want to – well, no, let's make it an Urban Meyer bashing. We can do that. Why not? It's our show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, uh, everything's been highly publicized, you know, and it's, you know, his his leaving of Florida for some uh, health reasons, quickly turning into an Ohio State job, and then leaving Ohio State because of more, some more uh, health reasons. And everything that follows Urban is always a sanctions coming, Something's going to come out in the media about him, and he always escapes the moment. And this moment has caught up with him, and he is at the highest level of football, and it is an extremely bad look, and it is taking away from what should be a rebuilding team that has some talent. So, David, are you surprised? I mean, surprised might not be the right word because I don't think either one of us thought that the Urban Meyer tenure in Jacksonville would be a successful one. but. I mean, is he going to last the season? I, I don't know if the answer to that one, actually. I told you when the USC job became available, Urban Meyer wants a USC job. And I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this was set up to where he thought he'd get fired for it just so he could get out. Self, self-sabotage, you think? You think so? Might be because, I mean, well, let me start. Let me roll this back. Like you said, there's been some sound bites that just piss me off yeah. because when he goes and says, Oh, the NFL is like playing Alabama every week. Oh my! God. What did you think it was? You're gonna get t- Kent State, like, like seriously? You thought like the worst team in the NFL was gonna be Kent State or somebody that you just can beat up on as because you got better recruits, and that's all he ever did. That's what you gotta yeah. understand. When he was in Florida, he had better recruits. 
and then they were going to get sanctioned for crap he did, so he left. When he had Ohio State, he had better recruits, and therefore when he was going to get in trouble, he left. Now he gets to the NFL, and he goes, oh, it's going to be a cakewalk. No, it's not. These are the you can't handpick your players. Like it's it's a monopoly at this point. It's not just like a free range. Like oh, come here, come to Ohio State, come to Florida. Like you have to actually develop a roster and you have to coach. Now it's not just simply signing the best recruits, like you're saying. Well, you have to coach, but you also have to develop. And not only that, everybody else gets paid to play to play too. Okay, this is a situation where you have coaches whose livelihoods depend on beating you. Right. You're not God. Your players make more money than you do in the NFL. So you have to learn how to really develop the relationships with them and understand they're they're almost equals. Basically, they're not like I mean they're younger, so I don't want to say they're you know not equals, but I'm saying they're younger men, but they're men. They're earning a they're in a profession. They're earning money to, you know, feed their families. You got to respect that part of the game, and I don't think Urban respects that part of the game at all when it comes to the professional level. Right. Okay, and and in addition, like you alluded to, you don't have the the you know the top recruiting class. You know, you had a hell of a draft, but then one of your first round draft picks got hurt, and now he's out for the season and at the end. Yeah. So guess what? You got to figure a way to move around that and keep it rolling. And and again, Urban wants a week off. I mean, I have never, ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever, ever. In 18, 19 years, whatever I've been doing this now, I heard of a head coach not fly back on the team plane. That's weird, right? Unle- That's unless, so weird. Yeah. unless there was a death in the family. Sure. Or there was a health reason why, like, a coach, you know, a couple coaches had to stay over in hospitals and stuff the night of the game was over or whatever and fly back later. But those were extreme situations. I never heard a coach not flying back with the team, even to hang out with family. And I think this was after the Thursday night game, if I was correct, right? Is this the Thursday I, night? I, I think you are. I think you are, yes. So this was after the Thursday night game where you're going to have a long weekend anyways. But your team is over at this point. They're yeah. over. So hanging out in Ohio so you can get a break and hang out with your family when your team is over instead of getting back down there to Jacksonville and getting back to work to figure out how to turn this season around when you're 0-3 or 0-4 at that point, it's like, are you flipping kidding me? I mean, 100%, you got to be kidding me. I have never in my life heard of a coach not take the team playing back. Usually, pole position one on the plane is owner. Pole position two is the coach. When the players get on the plane, they see the coach and they see the owner, and that's setting the tone that everybody rides together. Like, we are in this together. When the players get on the plane and that seat's empty, and then this tape comes out, yeah, no wonder people are saying he's a joke. No wonder people are like, we can't follow this guy. I heard one player called him a straight con artist. Con <laughs> artist. Because they don't believe a word coming out of his mouth. And so for me, I'm just like, dude, seriously, I said it when they hired him, this was going to be a joke and a mess. I said it the whole time. I got family members defending this asshole, saying that he, he's, it's, between him and, 
is between him and his wife. I'm like, no, it's not. You have a personal conduct clause in your contract. You're contractually obligated to carry yourself in a professional manner as a leader of the organization in which you represent. This is the NFL, fuckers. This isn't fuck around and figure it out. This is the NFL. You be prepared and get to it. Like I worked in that league for over 10 years. I respect the hell out of representing and putting that, putting any teams in the, on my chest. Whether it was the Panthers, the Niners, the Raiders, the Giants, or the Carolina Panthers. All five teams I worked for, Miami Dolphins. Every time I put their, their logo on my chest, it was game time. I was there to represent that organization to the best of my ability and in the manner in which they dictate. And right. you don't wear the logo out drinking. You don't wear the logo out hanging out. People don't, If people know who you are, you don't go rolling out and doing that kind of stuff. That's not what you do. That's not, I mean, that's just a, honestly, it's a JV mentality. Yeah. And I'm sick of it. Like, I, that's why I wanted to do these topics tonight, because I'm sick of these, these privileged men who I can't understand why they get jobs. And my cousin was like, well, he's got, he wins everywhere he goes. He out recruits wherever he goes and he has violations everywhere he goes. So that's why he wins. Not that he's a good coach. But he's really just a con artist that he smiles pretty and people defend, which I don't get at all. You know, there are there are plenty of coaches that are good coaches of color that don't get a second opportunity. And coaches like Lane Kiffin and, you know, Urban Meyer and John Gruden, and they all get two and three and four chances to coach. And Lane might be at six or seven now. Hmm. And. And again, is he a good coach? Yes, he's a good coach, but he's a really immature individual who, you know, again, plays the privilege to the point where it's sickening, absolutely sickening. And Urban Meyer, I'm sorry, bro. I'm going to come at you hard. I didn't like you before this. I don't like you even more now. Like, you don't respect the seat. You're in the seat, and you don't respect it. And you've lost your team. You've lost your locker room. There ain't been one player that's come out to defend you. There ain't one player that's come out and said, you know what? It's between him and his wife or, you know what? Men make mistakes and I I, I still believe him. There's not one. It's not even even about that, though. And I I don't want to, like, I'm not, like, listen to me real quick, okay? Married man, I believe in the, you know, I believe in being respectful and being honest to your, to your, um, whoever your significant other is. Okay. For me, I saw, and I was like, wow, what a scum, what a scumbag, right? Like, obviously he's a married man and he's got this girl grind all over him. Like that's a scumbag. The main issue here though, is not that I'm, I'm departmentalizing this for a second. Okay. The fact is, is that in a struggling situation where you're supposed to be a leader of men, you are making it about yourself. And you are being selfish in that regard. So forget about what the actual action was. The issue is that you're not there for your team that just lost a close football game after getting blown out multiple weeks in a row. And you're trying to be a leader of men. And you chose instead to look out for yourself. That is the main issue here. You are putting the the spotlight on yourself when you are supposed to be the leader here. You are supposed to be able to look at these guys in the face and they know that you are going to take them in the right direction. How can anybody trust who he is? How can anybody trust him in that locker room? They obviously don't because the minute he leaves, 
they laugh. And there's been multiple reports. This isn't one person's like, oh, I heard they might might have laughed. No, no, people are saying like he like, like they're he's getting laughed at. Okay, so the respect is gone. And then I will point out to this this uh, this uh, little section too, David. Did you hear his press conference after it happened? Where his apology, right? I heard, dude, I'm telling you, man. As a teacher in the education field, right? Like when you take a kid out to the hallway and you say. You feel like you made the wrong decision there. They kind of go like, yeah, like they mumble, right? Like, uh, yeah, pro- probably not, probably not the best decision I could have made. That was exactly Urban Meyer in that thing. He's like, oh yeah, just, just stupid, man. Like, it's just a stupid, selfish decision. I was like, dude, this guy's not even like raise your voice, look at everyone in the eye, and if you're gonna be a man here, then be a man and say, you know what? I was selfish, and that was dumb. And I should not have put myself in that situation. And I should not have made this about myself. Talk like you're an adult. Talk like you're a man. Do not mumble under your breath because you got caught and you have to apologize now. You're not sorry for <laughs> anything. You're sorry you got caught. So and I deal with 12-year-olds every single day where it's the same thing. Again, you take them out and they're kind of just like, yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. Robert. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught here. Like, it's not sorry that you did anything wrong. It's sorry that they got caught. And it's the same thing for Urban Meyer. If you're going to be the leader, you want to pretend to be the man, then be the damn man, dude. Like, everybody makes mistakes. This is a terrible one. Everyone makes mistakes, and you should never make a mistake to this degree. But at the end of the day, if you're going to make a mistake, own your shit, man. Like, own up to it. Act like a man. Puff out your chest and say, I fucked up. And I can fix this, okay? I'm sorry. I did something wrong. I can fix it. End of rant, David Turner. No, I'm with you. And, like, every organization, they have that conversation with players before bye weeks or long, long trips. And this one, I'm sure they have the conversation. Hey, yeah. don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that when we come back and made the mistake and it's going to cost you your job or something, make sure you're not that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Uh, you know, he he's the guy, and he's the head coach. It's the same time. It's just, it reminds me of when Steve Kime on Fourth of July stood up in front of the team and said, "Don't be that guy." And then on Fourth of July, who got popped for the DUI? Steve Kime, and he, you know, and it was just like, you know, again, he got a slap on the wrist, and he's still the general manager of the Arizona uh, Cardinals. So you know, it's a situation where this whole this whole broadcast and episode tonight, everybody was really to, to highlight how how unjust this this is. Because Urban Meyer gets caught fondling a young woman on camera in a bar in Ohio where everybody knows who he is, and he just felt like his privilege was going to get him through, and so far it has. It didn't cost him his job because, again, like what Ryan ranted about, which is a great rant, by the way, is that it's about being a leader of men and it's about taking responsibility for your actions. And when you're in a certain, when you're in leadership roles, you asked to be in that role. Mm-hmm. You tried to get into that role. You positioned yourself to be there. And it's not just like, oh, I'm here. So now I get, you know, forgiveness. No, you have to ask for the forgiveness and you have to own up that you did something wrong. And in addition yeah. to all that being said, as a leader of an 0-4 football team, your decision was to stay in Ohio to get a break because it's too hard. 
is it too hard, Urban? Is it really? Because you're earning nine point or nine point five million dollars for this year, and it's too hard to earn nine point five and have to coach the team. Is it too hard to get on the team plane and go back to Jacksonville where it's sunny and warm and beautiful, and you can't fly your flipping family down there to hang out while you go to work and figure out how to pull your team out of the Ofer fucking drawer? Yeah. And you decide to hang out, and then you decide, okay, you had dinner with your with your wife. Cool. Then you decide to go across the street and have a few beers. Okay, that's fine. I have nothing. Everybody who ever listens to this show knows I have nothing wrong with getting a couple beers in me. Let's go. <laughs> but then you let, and again, I don't know this girl. I don't know if it was arranged. I don't know if she met you there. I don't know nothing. Yeah. But let's just say you met her there, which I don't believe a fucking cent. But let's just say you met her at the bar that night for a minute. And she starts grinding on you. You don't. Your hands not on your leg. Your hands not like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? No, you're encouraging the behavior where your hands at. You're caressing and funneling her her derriere, and you're enjoying it. So don't stand up in front of me and say, "Hey, I did something wrong. I'm a bad boy." You encourage the behavior. With your actions and your response to what was going on. Now, I'm not a married man anymore, but when I was married, that was a no-no. Yeah. That was a no-no. And you're going to go out here and do that and parade around and be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Like, seriously, respect the seat, man. And and I would say, and we're going to move on from these topics, but both men that we've talked about tonight, John Gruden and Urban Meyer, it's ironic because we talked a lot about leadership right here and we talked a lot about you know leader of men and you know practicing what you preach these men are also they're also deciding who are good decision makers they're trying to find they're preaching we want these class acts who make great decisions and how could you possibly preach that to your to your team right now and talking about urban meyer specifically how can you how can he stand in front of his team right now and say, you all need to make good decisions when you just made a terrible decision and you have already proven that you are not a good decision maker. And I, I think there's a lot of layers to that conversation. We're going to obviously get more into that because the Urban Meyer saga is not over. And there's a lot more that's probably going to come out of the John Gruden saga too. But we want to turn the page and move into some mailbag questions for tonight. We have three mailbag questions for tonight. Shout out to the people that sent it through the Twitterverse. Starting with Derek, who is at Steelers underscore DB, asked about what is your biggest concern with Kyer Elam, cornerback out of Florida. He said is his his is his deep speed t- uh, tendency to get stacked, and what scheme do you personally feel like is the best fit for him? So a little background on Kyer Elam, uh, David. Maybe you remember his brother Matt Elam, who was a safety that came out of there a few years ago. Um, they now turned out too great. Was a first round pick by the Baltimore Ravens. Was a fantastic football player out of Florida, and that uh, was not very good in the NFL. So Kyer is a long limbed, listed around six foot two, 200, 200 to two hundred five pounds, somewhere in that ballpark. So he's got a really nice frame, long arms. I would be willing to say that he's definitely at least in the thirty two inch ballpark, maybe thirty two and a half inch arms, maybe a little longer. Could be almost thirty three. He's got some. He's got some length to him. Uh, what are, what, so I want to start with the scheme for, uh, specifically. He reminds me a lot last year when Patrick Sertan came out, Patrick Sertan Jr., right? Pat Sertan was also 
long-limbed. I would not have said that Patrick Sertan had the greatest long speed of all time, so I would agree with Derek. I don't think that Kyrie Elam has the greatest long speed of all time. But what I think that he is, technically sound, press man corner, he's going to get up in your face, and he's going to use his length to his best ability. And then I also do think that in zone coverage, uh, whether we're playing two or three or whatever, four, like we're match coverage, whatever it is, I think Kyrie Elam, like Pastor Tan, has great zone instincts. I think that he has a really good understanding and recognition of what is developing in front of him. He can work up on shorter routes. He can stay in the deep third. Like I think that he is stylistically best suited for a press man, uh, press man system. But I also think that you know, if you're a cover three heavy system, if you're uh, Dan Quinn over there in Dallas, like would fit perfectly. I think that is a good fit. What I don't think, what I do think that he lacks, though, is I think that one, his deep speed is not the greatest. I think he's four five to four five five. Like I think it's it's solid. I don't think it's great, but for six two corner, it's not bad. It's not like the worst thing in the world. But I think that my biggest problem with Kyrie is I don't think that he's the cleanest transition of all time. So I think that when you put him in man, and specifically off man, there's going to be some limitations to him when we're facing more flexible, maybe quicker players on the outside where you're facing your Terry McLaurins and your Stefan Diggs and those kind of guys that are really nice route runners who get in and out of breaks smoothly. I think that he's not going to work the best in an off man and press as long as he gets his hands on him. He's good to go zone. He's good to go. But the problem obviously the problem in press man is, Hey, if you are a little off in your technique at the line of scrimmage, he gets in the recovery mode. I don't think his speed is quite, to the highest degree. And I think it's the same thing a little bit with Patrick Sertan. Sertan actually ended up testing pretty well. Um, I don't think that that, I don't think that the play speed was quite as fast as he tested though. And I think that Kyrie Elam's in the same ballpark. So press man system can play some zone concepts, a little stiff, I don't want to say stiff, a little, not the most flexible and quick footed guy to play a bunch of off man. So I think that's kind of the best systems. And I would agree, Derek, I think that those are his biggest negatives, I would also say, is long speed and that um, that short area quickness. So, but in press man system, first-round caliber player, in my opinion. Two more questions. David, this one's a funny one. Ready? So we have yep. uh, Stephanie Bellini asked um, at Football Fan 6365. She said, where do you think Cole Kelly lands? David, I want to tell you about this Cole Kelly, and you tell me your thoughts. Ready? Quarterback, Southeast Louisiana. <clears throat> Arkansas transfer, was at Arkansas, played a little bit early in his career. Then uh, I think he didn't win the quarterback spot, so he transferred to Southeast Louisiana. I think also there was some legal issue, but I don't want to – I remember that what I remember there was a legal issue. I don't remember exactly what it was, so I don't want to put anything, any false info out there. So, David, have you ever heard of a quarterback this big? Okay, for a second. Have you ever heard of a quarterback this big? Six foot seven and four eighths verified. So six foot seven and a half. 270 pounds. <laughs> that's like the hefty lefty out of kentucky but four inches taller <laughs> brother I, he's i mean he would be a big tight end like he's a huge tight end and he's playing i mean and like hey man hats off to him because he was the national player of the year this past spring which is cool because he's the only guy that will ever do that probably be the spring mvp for the fcs on the fcs level and he's averaging like 400 yards passing so far in the fall. Um, but that being said, where do I think he's going to land? 
I think there's gonna that. be a big debate on. I think there's gonna be a big debate on what he is, man. I I mean, I just at some he's point. A, he's, what, what's the guy for uh, Logan Thomas? Yeah, but but the problem is Cole Kelly's not that athlete, dude. Like he's all right. He's like probably like a four nine five flat guy, which for two hundred seventy pounds is pretty good. But like he's not. I mean, Logan Thomas ran like a four five something, four six. Like he's he can move a little bit, you know what I mean? So it's it's, it's tough, man. I I don't think that he's a quarterback at the next level. I've been on this, and some people very much disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, but I just think at some point you're too big for the position, to be honest. Like Brock Osweiler, there's a uh, Dan McGuire back in the day. There's a lot of guys at that height that just I mean, when you get over six foot six, historically speaking, the data says. Don't have a good career, or you don't have much of a chance of sticking long term. So I don't I actually. I actually have a study that's over six five. If you're five? over six foot five, it's hard because when we were drafting Jamarcus Russell back in the day, we, I had to do the study for Mr. Davis. Yeah, and if if you're over six foot five, and if he gets to like six foot six foot five, and you know six six eights, yeah. you know it's really negative because. And here's why: because your arm's too long, and your release—not only your release range—it right. it get exp- it gets exposed to the rushers too much coming around the corner, but also yeah. the release quickness is just not there. And that's just a genetical thing. If a six foot seven quarterback were to work, they would be like a shack, where it would be very, very rare to have a big person with that kind of quick twitch to get the ball out in timing well, well enough to survive at the NFL level. And you always hear about. Oh, that boy's or that that quarterback's getting the the ball out quick. That guy's getting the ball out quick. That guy's getting the ball out quick. When you're six seven, your long your arms are 34, 35, maybe even you know thirty five and a half inch arms. A standard quarterback has between thirty one and thirty three and seven eighths. You know they're underneath thirty four inches. So you know I I personally like quarterbacks that have like thirty two and a half inch arms with a ten hand. Because that in itself will give you a good lever to throw with and and give you a good spin on the ball, a good ball control because your hand's so big. So you can take a guy like Russell Wilson. I think his arm length is 31 and 6 eighths, and he has a, a 10 and a quarter hand or something like that. So that's why you see really good ball placement with him. So, you know, there's just, there's just measurables that actually translate really well. A guy that big, not only his weight wise, but just his arm length wise, is it's going to be a struggle. So you know we, you know he's got to if he wants to play at the next level, he has to be open to transitioning to a different position. Yeah, and I, I just pulled out the verified measurables from Blesto this spring, David. Six foot seven and four eighths. I was correct there. Two hundred seventy pounds was also correct. Um, hand size nine and seven eighths. Big hands and under 30, under ten. That's under 10, that's yeah. small. For a guy that big, you would imagine he would have 11 hands, honestly. Like, he's he's a big dude. But 34-inch arms and an 81-and-a-quarter-inch wingspan. So this is a yeah. long dude. He's a long dude. I mean, he actually fits a defensive end style. Dude, he sounds like he sounds like um, uh, Banasek from back in the day, right, from the Raiders in, like, the 70s. Like, he's he's like that dude, man. Like dude, he's, he's, Again, if he runs a 4'9", and he's got that length, and he's open to transitioning yeah. to like defense and being a rush end. A team could put some investment a year or two into him and see what they get. 
because that's still a big guy with long wingspan. I mean, you know, he and, and I'm sure at 270, he's probably watching his way to play quarterback. You can let the boy eat a little bit, and he might grow to 290 and be 6'7 and play inside, be a great six. He'd be a great five or six technique like a Cleus Campbell, you know, and disrupt some people. So I just looked up. Um, I was out of curiosity. Check out this comp, David. Ready? So I looked up Carl Nassib because I remember Carl Nassib when he was coming out of Penn State, obviously with the Raiders now. Uh, was similar measurable six foot seven on the dot 277 with 34 inch arms like is that exactly what i just said so yeah uh, so my, my new comp for cole kelly is carl nassib playing quarterback so there you go um last question of the day so sorry stephanie that was a long answer to say i don't think he's a quarterback the next level i think that he might get drafted late just off of the athleticism and he's got a decent little pedigree and he's got a re- resume but i think they're going to be drafting more of the build and the traits that he has more than um, the ability for him to play quarterback. So last question of the night, Luke Kelly, 65 asks thoughts on the Eagles possible targets with those two short first round picks and possibly a third. Uh, David, why don't you give me, let's, let's partner on this one, a couple positions that you think the Eagles should target early on in next year's draft. And I will give you maybe a couple candidates that make sense in the first round. Any. <laughs> 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 so I'm for, um, let's, uh, no, I'm, I'm just thinking that there's a lot of holes. Yeah, obviously, offensive line to me is one I would put a lot of lot of t- uh, time into. That that pick out of Alabama, Dickerson. I, I want to say he's one of the higher penalized players in the league already. Um, and, and I mean, him and Leatherwood are leading rookie offensive linemen in holding and and also and false starts. Both of them are. Sucks, man. He's so bad. I know, but I'm just saying I, I looked that one up because I was looking at Leatherwood the other day and I saw, you know, uh, Dickerson right there with him. And I like Dickerson, don't get me wrong, but I just didn't like that pick where they took him. Um, that all being said, I, I think, you know, he's struggling right now. But they need to fix the offensive line. They need to get younger at D-line because, you know, Bennett's going to, you know, not play forever, even though it seems like he will up. And they're also their corners safe. I mean, safeties are decent, but linebackers. I mean, they they really need some help. I think Gainwell and Sanders at the running back position give them some great versatility. I like them. Smith is really showing. You know, he's showing well. He really is. He, he's fighting through stuff. I I questioned him coming out with his slider frame if he would fight through it, and he is totally fighting through it. Um, Goddard and Ertz are are a decent tandem. They're a tight end. So, again, they're not hurting at tight end. They're not hurting. I think they can use another receiver. So if I if I were posing to you, I would say corner, uh, linebacker, yeah. safety, and receiver. And o, well, O-line would be my number one to you. Okay, I would also throw in defensive ends um, in there too because Barnett I know might not be back next year and Brandon Graham's coming out of an Achilles injury as well. So defensive end might also be a spot that they might want to upgrade. I'll just throw out a couple names real quick in all those positions. Um, Offensive line, I'm going to say interior offensive line more. They just paid their left tackle. They have still Lane Johnson, even though he's going through a little bit of personal issues. So their offensive tackles are decent. Inside, I think the biggest position is center moving forward because Kelsey could retire any year. He's been talking about it for a couple years. So center is a great class um, this year. If you want uh, Tyler Lindenbaum from Iowa, Jared Patterson from Notre Dame, 
Uh, Ricky Stromberg Jr. from Arkansas, all very good centers. I think at least two out of three in Patterson and Stromberg are pretty scheme versatile. Um, if you're trying to run a lot of outside zones specifically, then um, Linderbaum's your guy. Like he's a plug and play outside zone center. Guards, um, it, you know, I, I know that, you know, you're talking about Dickerson. Is he going to be a long term center? If he is the long term center, which I know that that's their hopes. They have, obviously, Holes. Siamalu's out with an injury. They got Brandon Brooks, who's coming back from another injury. So he's, I mean, it's got to be on the fringe of him, at, you know, maybe retiring at this point. So some guards, Iquanu, Iki Iquanu from uh, NC State's a guy. I don't know if quite first round, but I think that he has the talent to do it. Darian Kennard, who plays right tackle for Kentucky. I think he's going to be a guard inside. Reminds me a lot of Kalechi Usemeli that used to play with the Oakland Raiders. Uh, very good pro ball guard there. So there's a couple guys I would definitely keep an eye on. Wide receiver, I don't know if wide receiver is a uh, – I mean, it's definitely not a first-round conversation, I don't think, for the Eagles because they've drafted a wide receiver in the first round back-to-back -back years now. So I would say a couple secondary options. I think they might need to get a little bigger at the position. Like you said, uh, we have Devonta Smith, who's not the biggest frame of all time. we got Jalen Reagan, who's a little bit of a smaller receiver. And then we got uh, Quez Watkins, who's a pure deep threat receiver. So there's not a ton of size – at the position. So if we're talking moving into maybe the second, third, maybe even to fourth round, we need to talk about guys like maybe Drake London falls the second round out of USC, who's a six foot four, six foot five wide receiver. Um, uh, the Ezukama, the wide receiver out of Texas Tech, is a big body wide receiver. Um, there is a couple other guys. I think there are interesting players there at wide receiver. I think that you're you're kind of missing all the big frame guys this year, but Justin Ross, maybe if he slides from Clemson into the second, you know, there's a couple of guys that, that are worth that conversation. I think adding well, those size. Two kids, those two kids up there at Ohio state could fall. They're a little smaller could... though. They're a little small. I'm trying to add a little more size to that unit, you know? Oh, okay. So, I like those two kids at Ohio state a lot. And, I, think and they might, and I think, well, I love Garrett Wilson, especially. I think both of them are first round picks though. Yeah. I don't know if you're, they're the guys I don't. I don't. Well, think I was gonna say one of them. If you had to pick one of them to slide, I would. I mean, I would wonder who you would think might slide because I think there are some good receivers. We haven't covered it. Like last week, we covered the, yeah. the quarterbacks, and like I said, coming up, we're gonna do other positions. But this year, I, I, there are some receivers that I'm I'm extremely excited about. From what I hear, I hear that Ohio both Ohio State receivers are well regarded. I I personally think that Chris Olave is the guy that would slide out of the two of them because I just think that Garrett Wilson has inside outside versatility. I think he is absolutely dynamic after the catch, uh, can work all levels of the field. I think Olave is a very solid, good number two option in offense that is a crafty route runner, has a little bit of speed to him, but I don't think there's anything dynamic about him, especially after the catch. So I would say Olave is more the guy that slides. We're going into defense. I mean, you should have drafted Michael Parsons this year, and you would have been fine at linebacker. But for whatever reason, the Eagles no haven't, drafted a, they haven't drafted a linebacker, David, in the first round since 1979, just to put that into perspective how little they value that position. Linebacker this year, <laughs> not a big fan of, to be honest. But if we're looking at some guys, Henry Toa Toa from Alabama is a guy, potentially the second round. I like Terrell Bernard from Baylor, who's a little bit of a smaller uh, run chase type of will, but I really do like a lot of what he brings. Uh, Christian Harris is a guy from Alabama that a lot of people like. I'm I'm just not there with him, so um, I think that a guy maybe down the down the uh, line a little bit in the draft could be Peyton Wilson if he decides to uh, declare from NC State. I think he's a really good f football player. I think he's a top fifty worthy player, but he's dealt with injuries 
So I think he's a guy that might potentially slide. He could be a mid-round value for him. So there's a couple guys. Defensive end, I mean, if you need a defensive end in this year's class, you're in luck, man. There are some dudes all over the board. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, which I know David knows, who's a super explosive. Bendy rusher, great ankle flexion, really good bend as a pass rusher. And he's still figuring it out, which is really scary because he's already a pretty dominant football player. And he can only get better. If you're trying to go big, big body edge, and I, I threw edge out there, David. I don't care if you hate it or not. George Karloftis is my boy from Purdue, about six four, 280 pounds, real speed to power converter. He's got a lot of things to like, really powerful hands. And then if you're talking about more flexible um, stand-up rushers, maybe if you're playing a little bit of odd fronts at times and trying to work with a little more versatility, you got guys like Maje Sanders from Cincinnati who's got a lot of length to him. You got guys like Adam Anderson from Georgia, Will McDonald from, from Iowa State. Take your pick and your style of pass rusher this year. You can find a guy. And then last – I would just go down to Georgia and go shopping. Like literally that defense in Georgia, they are balling out of control right now. Like I'm I'm like, man. Well, let's go let's go to Georgia. Let's go to Georgia. I'm let's just saying, like, if I if I'm if I'm if I'm Philly and I want to fix my defense, right? Yep. I just go down to Georgia and I say I want you, you, and you. I'm picking three players off that defense and probably three different levels. You know, and saying we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work with you guys, and I'm just gonna figure it out because the way that team is playing, the chemistry that they're playing with, the trust they're playing within each other, the the back end is giving the front end time to get to the quarterback. The front end is using all their tools to get to the quarterback. They're stopping the run well. I mean, it is. I mean, look at what happened against Arkansas. They completely dismantle Arkansas, and Arkansas then goes over to Ole Miss and has 500 something yards in offense. So I mean it's it's like they're they're doing it against dudes themselves right now. So it's like that's why I'm saying that, bro. I'm just like what Arkansas is or not Arkansas, what what Georgia is doing on defense right now is stunning. Just stunning. <laughs> just stunning. Just stunning. stunning. Uh, well, I'm gonna go to Georgia for a safety here. Uh, maybe not first round, probably more second, but Lewis Seen, uh, who's a Headhunter, man. Like, he still plays that game. I know David Turner would love him because he is – Oh, I do love contact. him. I know who you're talking about. Again, I've been watching the dogs. I've been watching 16, them, so I baby. know. 16, he, he hits anything that moves. And he's developing his comfortability playing on the roof, playing deep zones. So, we'll see continued. He still has his flaws and pass coverage, but he's a good athlete. So, I think he can get there. The guy for me, man, that can completely trans, transform that defense – if the Eagles could get Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame in the top 10 there, safety, man, that changes everything. Because that kid is a kid that could play on the roof, could play down low in zone, could play on the second level at times. He, at six foot four, 220 pounds, he's a rare, rare football player. So that would be my guy if I was the Eagles, completely transforming your defense. That would be the dude. couple corners, Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU, if he's there, potentially in the top 10, might be a guy. Andrew Booth from Clemson's my dude. That would be a guy that I would definitely target. And then we had a question about him earlier. If you're going to play a bunch of press man, Kyrie Elam might be a guy in the first round. Maybe even if you trade back a little bit into the mid-teens, might be a guy that could be in the conversation. So I appreciate all, all the mailbag questions today. We're going to end you all with just something to think about, maybe a final shout-out, whatever we want to bring to the table. Just want to say that I appreciate every single week having this conversation and being able to cover real topics. There's a lot of fluff out there in the world. Everyone's talking about the same thing. 
And I'm glad that David Turner leaves himself vulnerable to put his real conversation and his real feelings out there. It's a very important topic that people try to skip over. So, David, letting you end this before I end this all tonight, brother. How are you? And what would you like to finish off with the folks? Well, my social media post today led off well, what, what the, temp, the, the tone for tonight was going to be. Mm-hmm. It's about accountability and being accountable to yourself, first and foremost, to have a successful life. You know, if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and be accountable each and every day before you, ra- you rest your head on the, on the pillow, then you, you, you have some work to do on you. Mm-hmm. And like I said today, it's like, it's as simple as don't stop saying, I didn't have time to do this today. I didn't have time to do that today. You didn't make time to do this or that today. And that's fine. Like, give yourself permission. Like, I didn't have time to fold the laundry today. Cool. It's not you didn't have time. You didn't make time to fold the laundry today. And that's okay. But understand, by not making time for things in a 24-hour day, you're showing yourself and others what's important to you. Urban Meyer didn't have time to get on a plane and get home and and be where he was supposed to be, which is back in Jacksonville. And so where's his accountability? His press conferences, you heard Ryan talk about, didn't stand up there and take accountability. John Gruden, where's his accountability of what he said 10 years ago? You're a man. You said it. You wrote it. You put it in the email. Stand up and take accountability. If you're not going to be accountable for your mis- your missteps, don't toast yourself when you do something right. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back when you do something right. Because it's the character of a man, a woman, a person, an individual is about who you are when the coaches isn't looking. I learned that early in life at Delisle High School. When you go into the weight room, when you work, when you do your stuff away from the program, your character shows through because it's who you are away from when the coaches, the supervisors, the owners are looking at you. Urban Meyer and John Gruden showed us who they were this week when the coaches aren't watching. Well, guess what? Now that we know, what are we going to do? Like Ryan said earlier in the program, how are we going to turn these negatives into positives and give opportunity to individuals who've been that are qualified and been in line for opportunities for years that deserve opportunities? There's a list of coaches that deserve a second chance at coaching well before Urban Meyer ever gets another job or John Gruden does. Will they get those jobs or will their color of their skin dictate that they're done? Great message. And I would say if we would appreciate a like, share, subscription, leave us a rating. Um, Appreciate everybody. As always, for being real each and every week. Thank you so much for continuing to help us grow. Um, Again, all those things would be very appreciated. So we'll catch you same time, same place next week. Map Sports Take, episode 61, signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Believe. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.